Having heard that gospel now three times this morning, I have experienced the air sort of sucking itself out of the room and feeling people's bodies tense up as they hear Jesus' teaching. So I want to begin by inviting us to exhale. <laughs> it was quite a task to sit with these scriptures throughout the week, to have those teachings in front of me each day. And I found a memory come back to me almost like a balm as I sat with them. It was a memory now about four years ago when I was walking the labyrinth in Tucker Hall, our fellowship hall just down this way. For those who don't know, a labyrinth is a kind of contemplative maze. And we have a canvas one that we set out that takes up much of the room. And I entered into Tucker Hall in the dim light of that evening alone. I didn't have an agenda or a plan. I just felt a call to walk in silence and stillness. At this point, I was just a few weeks and months into my pregnancy with my now-born son, Abe. As I wound my way through the contemplative maze, I found my hands going towards my stomach, which hadn't yet grown and stretched to accommodate his body. At this point, he was just the size of a peach, having no name. We didn't yet know his sex that would be assigned at birth. And I found myself walking with him, with words coming up unbidden. And it began with this. I'm sorry. I was surprised by the words and I kept on going through the twists and the turns of the circle. And I said, I'm sorry for how this world feels so irreparably broken. I'm sorry for the senseless violence and cruelty of it and that I will not always be able to protect you from it. It became more personal. As I said to this little peach inside of me, I'm sorry for the ways I will not be a perfect parent. And I'm sorry that I was called to a vocation that will take me away from you so often. I'm sorry. At this point, I found myself in the center of the labyrinth with if you've ever done this practice, you know you're invited to stay there in stillness and to receive whatever comes there at the center. After a few moments there, I began to wind my way out. And the conversation continued, unbidden just as the start. And it continued with the words, I love you. It was the first time I'd said that to the little baby. I will love you no matter who you are, no matter who you love, no matter what you do, no matter what the world puts in front of you, I will love you. I will love you. I will love you. The memory of that sacred night came back to me this week as I entered into our scripture for today. And as I saw with first delight how the Apostle Paul 
takes up imagery of motherhood in his letter to the Corinthians. It passes quickly in the text amidst the other metaphors he uses, but he begins this portion of the letter by speaking to the Corinthians as if they were his own breastfeeding children. He says, I fed you with solid milk. But then it goes on and we begin to realize that Paul is actually using this metaphor with a little bit of shame in it. He says, you infants in Christ, or perhaps more accurately translated to capture his exasperation, you could say, you babies in Christ, you haven't been able to handle the solid food of Christ's teachings. You're still arguing with one another. You're still attaching yourselves to different charismatic leaders. You babies in Christ. Now, putting aside Paul's shame here, for those of us who've ever been in the proximity of feeding a baby, whether breast milk or formula, you know that there is not one ounce of shame in it. It's holy to help a child learn to eat, to watch as his teeth grow, as his stomach muscles begin to develop so that he can digest more than just milk. But beneath all of that, there's truth in Paul's metaphor. There are some teachings of Christ that are solid food. Some teachings where we need the love and companionship of another to help us use the tools and develop the maturity to hear them. And the gospel from Matthew today is exactly that. Solid food teaching of Jesus. Here, Jesus slings at us one after another teachings on murder, anger, adultery, lust, divorce, oath-making. Without any pause in between, he goes. It made me think of the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which comes in just a few chapters, where it says the people who heard were amazed, or translated another way, they were struck with panic as they heard Jesus' teachings. If you've been in church the past few weeks, you know that this sermon began with Jesus' beatitudes, with overflowing blessing on the people. And it continued, as we heard last week, with the affirmation of our identity as salt and light. And then we come to today, to what is the center of the Sermon on the Mount, with these difficult, difficult teachings, where Jesus takes Torah law to the extreme. It's not enough not to murder another. You commit violence by even the thought of doing harm. It's not enough not to sleep with your neighbor's wife. You've committed lust and adultery by just imagining it. Now, each of these sayings could benefit from scriptural context, tying them in with Deuteronomy and Leviticus from which he's pulling. It could benefit from historical context of what divorce was like, what the rights of women were in that time. But all of that aside, the real issue with this passage of the Sermon on the Mount isn't what Jesus said. It's what the church did with it. 
And this is especially true in the cases of divorce, a topic we have to approach with such care since now more than 50% of the people who are called into marriage are called out of it into divorce. And what the church global has done in response to that is often to cast those people out, to deny them communion, to not let them serve in leadership or be part of a small group. What the church has done is to cast out those people when they needed their spiritual community the most. And as I contemplated this and thought of the personal lives of many I know in this situation, I found a prayer rising up within me unbidden, beginning with the words, I'm sorry. And so wearing the yoke of this stole with whatever authority it still offers us in this world, I want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how the church has used this scripture and many others like it to shame and exclude and divide us. I'm sorry for how the church has failed to model reconciliation and repair. I'm sorry for the ways the church has hidden its light, hiding behind its institution and its money, instead of living the teaching and preaching of Jesus. I'm sorry. But as the week went on, and as I nursed now my second-born son, I found the rest of the conversation unfold. And it began with the words, I love you, which is what I believe is behind every single word that Jesus spoke. He included these teachings because he took on our flesh and he knows that we are creative in the ways we hurt one another, the ways we hurt ourselves. Jesus preached these teachings because relationships matter to him. If you look back as he blessed us and those listening, he acknowledged our grief, the ways that we have mourned for our broken relationships. He blessed those who are poor in spirit, and he reminded us that we are salt and light, and to be good for this world, we are called to a higher, almost impossible way of living that is based in dignity and respect. Behind every blessing, behind every admonition, I believe Jesus' next thought was, because I love you. There's one last prayer that came into my psyche this week, and that's not my own, but that of St. Julian of Norwich, who lived in a cell all by herself in England as a monastic. And she penned these words over 600 years ago when she said, God chose to be our mother in all things and so made the foundation of the word most humbly and most pure in the virgin's womb. 
Jesus came in our poor flesh to share a mother's care. Our mothers bear us for pain and death. Our true mother, Jesus, bears us for joy and endless life. Christ carried us within him in love and travail until the full time of his passion. And when all had been completed and he had carried us so for joy, still that could not satisfy the power of his wonderful love. If I stretch my imagination and open my heart enough, I can almost imagine Jesus walking in a labyrinth, carrying us within his womb in love and travail, finding words unbidden coming from his lips, saying, I'm sorry. And always remember, I love you.